My name is Darren, and my story is guaranteed not to leave you out in the cold. My name is Alan, and I'm going to tell you why the term going into hock is still relevant today. My name is Gina, and I'm going to tell you about a motivational speaker or a bank robber. You decide. What do all these things have to do with the word debt? Find out in this week's episode of History Bluffs. Welcome to another episode of History Bluffs, where truth is stranger than fiction. I want to welcome now to the show, it's your host, Chris. He's got another center box. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of History Bluffs. Thank you, and let's give it up for Adam our outstanding tech. Give it up for Adam, everyone. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Adam, as always, thank you, thank you. our sounds and visuals and makes the show go, the engine. He is phenomenal. Uh, but <laughs> equally important to Adam in this show are our three historians. And uh, if we can get four square, Adam, can we do that? Um, so we can show people oh, who we it. have on the show tonight. We are just going to say hello to Darren, Gina, and Alan, hello to all of you. Welcome to the show. Uh, Darren, I have a question for you, sir. Uh, How did (laughs) I pay off my gold tooth? How how did you pay off your gold tooth? (laughs) Gina, Gina, this one's for you, Gina. Uh, What do you say when you repay money to your spouse? <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> you know? No, you don't. You say, this is debt ticated to the one I love. Oh, that's, that's much better Alan, than mine. Alan, this is yours, Alan. Uh, why, is it, why is it a bad idea to borrow money from a bookie? Why is that? It could be detrimental to your health. <laughs> hey, oh. let me tell you. <laughs> hey. All right. Luckily for the audience, wow. that's the last wow, punch for me for the rest of the day. Luckily for the uh-huh. audience, there's only three of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are oh, going to uh, once again hear from our three historians some stories inspired by the word debt. Uh, so with that being said, Adam, would you be kind enough, please, to put up the rules of the show? Oh, you know I will. Let's see here. We have rules. Hold on. I've got them right here. Here's the rules, Chris. Thank you, Adam. So, our historians, as we mentioned, are inspired by the topic. Today's topic is the word debt. Uh, True. The true two of our historians are going to be telling true stories, and one of our three armchair historians are going to be bluffing. The true stories are factual. The bluffs story is fictional. There may be some. A uh, bit of truth to it, but the premise, the overall story itself, will be false. Uh, and we ask the audience to not help in terms of uh, Googling information or looking up information online and, and throwing it out into our chat. I know, I know. Uh, it's fun to do that, but please, there will be an opportunity for debunking whoever you think is the bluff uh, in the third round. After the third round, we're going to have three different rounds for the show. And each round is going to get successive, successively smaller, shorter in time, uh, unlike this explanation. 
The first round is going to be 75 seconds. The second round is going to be 60 seconds. And the third round will be 45 seconds where they will wrap up their story. So at the end, we will all have an opportunity to find out which of our three historians, Alan, Gina, and Darren, are tonight's bluff. I don't even know myself. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, let's kick it right off. We just saw the round tracker up top. There it is. Uh, Adam, would you please take us to round number one? Thank you very much. So, as I mentioned, this round is 75 seconds in length for each of our storytellers. Uh, Darren, I'm going to start with you as historian number one. Please come out, and when you see the sundial and you hear the boom, you're going to have the floor for 75 seconds. There's no bigger debt than a debt of gratitude. And my story is about one of the biggest debts of gratitude in the history of exploration. In December 1914, the Endurance set sail from a whaling station on South Georgia Island on what was to be called the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition under the command of Ernest Shackleton. The Endurance is a truly mighty ship with deck planking 30 inches thick, a bow made of solid oak over 50 inches thick, and square-rigged sails. She was built to withstand Antarctic conditions, or so it seemed. Uh, in February, after two months of sailing and almost within sight of Antarctica, Endurance becomes hopelessly trapped in the ice, a thousand miles from the nearest human settlement. And Endurance would stay trapped in the ice until October of the next year when the pressure of the ice finally overwhelmed her and crushed her, sending her to the bottom. But the crew, who had plenty of time to prepare, had already stripped the ship of supplies in three small boats and had camped on the nearby ice floe. All right. Very interesting start to this story. Uh, Alan, what do you think of Darren's opening round? I think if you're going to make a boat that's meant for uh, sub-zero temperatures, you don't build it in Georgia. <laughs> point all right great point indeed uh gina what do you think um, of darren well i mean they could have done it in georgia if they made it out of that Hollywood stuff but this was 1914 so my theory is um i don't believe him already because in my head back in 1914 when they didn't have a lot of amenities like they do now in terms of speed and you know captains and things like that like how did they get from Georgia to Antarctica in two months? I think it should have. I think it would have taken much, much longer. So I think already bluffing, and so Ooh. feel good about saying that, even though we haven't heard anybody else's story. Wow, <laughs> throwing out that uh, accusation so early, very nice. Uh, we are going to jump over to Alan, uh, and Alan, you're going to have the floor for your first round. And once again, as a reminder, you're going to have 75 seconds. So we're going to put you in the big square, and when you see the sundial, you have the floor. The term going into hock is chiefly an American idiom, and it's been used since the late 1800s, and originally to be in hock meant to be in debt or in prison. The word comes from the Dutch word hock, meaning jail, pen, doghouse, hutch, or hovel, uh, but was used in slang to refer to debt. Now, there's relevance to my story because uh, there's a history of a family whose last name is Hawk. Now, back in uh, Holland, there was a family 
who was experiencing mistreatment for their mixed-race relationship. And in the 1890s, Ada and Jan Hawk moved their family to the United States uh, in 1899. And they settled near the other family, family members that they had in Pasadena, California, where they uh, their children would eventually attend elementary school. The youngest born child of that family was D. Hawk. And he was actually born a few decades later in 1930. He was born during the Great Depression, and that's going to influence the direction of this family story going forward. All right. Interesting. Uh, Gina, what do you think of Alan's story about D. Hawk and uh, his family re- uh, resettling back in the city of roses in Pasadena. Well, I, um, I feel like uh, he mumbled a lot, so I'm calling him the bluff now. Um, however, however, <laughs> Chris, 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 yes. Um, what, what do you call a prison for mathematicians? <laughs> what? Ad hoc. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Nice. Well, that's just enough that we need. Darren, what did you think of Alan's story? <laughs> well, I had three problems with it. First, Ada and Jan are clearly from Sweden, not from the Netherlands. Second, if you're going to go into debt in Holland, you're going to say I'm, you're going underwater. It's very, it's very low there. Oh, jeez. Okay. But most importantly, he talked about a D-hawk from Pasadena, and he clearly means T-Hawk, yeah. Tony Hawk, the most famous hawk from California, who is not in debt in any way. Which ever. hawks do you like? Oh, D's no. hawks. Very well off. <laughs> oh. Gina, uh, we're going to bring you up on screen, Gina, and that'll be perfect for everyone commenting on Alan's second, uh, first Why? round. And Gina, you're going to have the floor, and when you see the sundial and hear the boom, you're going to have 75 seconds. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so there was a man, uh, his name was Patrick, and he lived in uh, San Francisco in 1995. He was about 29 years old, and he was uh, he was trying to get into motivational speaking, booking tours around the country. Um, he received a letter in the mail that when he opened it, uh, it had a surprise check inside. And the check said, um, it, it did say very largely at the top, non-negotiable, but, non-negotiable, but the size of the check was for 95000 and change. Uh, so he decided as a funny joke, that he would uh, deposit it into his ATM just to see what, you know, to give the uh, bank people a little treat. So he actually, instead of signing his name, he just put a smiley face in the back where it says to endorse it. He put it into his ATM and he just left it there thinking, oh, they'll contact him and, you know, let him know, ah, ha, 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 this is, you know, we saw your joke and, and that sort of thing. But um, about a week later, when he pulled some money out of his ATM, his account was nearly $100,000. They had actually cashed it and it actually was in his bank account. Um, so he, at this point, is kind of like shitting himself a little bit because he looks up and it's like, you know, it's fraud to do that. But actually didn't sign his real name. So um, he wasn't sure exactly what he should do. Uh, so he went to the bank uh, to find out. And I'll tell you more uh, as we continue. All right. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Darren, what do you think of Gina's opening round story? I think this sounds very true because we all know how much bankers like a good joke as much as anyone. Uh, okay, uh, Alan, what do you think of Patrick and his story of depositing a ninety-five thousand dollars check? 
$95,000 cleared without them confirming funds in the account? I don't think so. That bank's going to go out of business real quick. Honey, you should say that. <laughs> okay. It was California in the 90s. So, uh, That's a teaser. There you go. So, uh, so Alan, we're going to uh, leave. Uh, we're going to stay with you, Alan, and we're going to bring you out to the okay. center. Uh, Adam, we're going to go to round number two because the round tracker is full for round one. Huh? Let's do it. So, welcome to round number two where we are reducing the amount of time for each historian from 75 seconds down to 60 seconds. And Alan, we're going to bring you up. You're going to start round two for us. When you see the sundial and hear the boom, you have 60 seconds to tell your story. The Hawk family was actually wealthy and had brought several thousand dollars worth of gold from their homeland. Now, the lack of capital in the United States during the Great Depression in the early 30s here uh, led the family to capitalize, and Dee's father, Jan, used the gold to back the selling of securities, offer mortgages to commercial and residential property builders. The Hawk Regional Bank would give new meaning to the term going into Hawk because they set records for foreclosures on the western coast. Foreclosures meant the acquisition of even more property, which they retained through the mid-20th century, a time which land started to rapidly grow in value. This caught the attention of Bank of America, which offered Jan Hawk's bank $200,000 in 1960. Uh, D. Hawk would remain employed with his uh, family's new bank owners, Bank of America, and would give even more 20th, first century application to the term going into Hawk. Okay. Uh, Darren, what do you think of Alan's second round of his, the Hawk story? I, I, so far, I, I believe him. I, it's a story about the value of land going up in California in the 20th century. Which, from what I understand, happened. Nice and distinct. Uh, Gina, what do you think on Alan's story about the Hawk family and uh, <laughs> regional bank in California was purchased by Bank of America? Oh, that's cool. Um, I'd be curious to know later in my story if the banks intersect. Uh, that's number one. But number two, mm. uh, he he mentioned $200,000. And I actually love, um, this is the only time I'll use Google, because $200,000 in today's world is over $2 million, just so that you know. How fun is that? Um, so I don't know where the Hawk family ended up, um, except for except for they're rich now if they took the offer. But did they? I don't know. Ellen, did they take it? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm interested now. Well, and now I still think that Darren's the bluff because I like Ellen's story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gina's throwing those accusations out early today. Mm -hmm. week. All right. Uh, Gina, with that, we're going to have you come out to okay. the main square. And mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have 60 seconds for your round number two version of your story. Okay. Begin now. Um, so uh, Patrick did what anybody would do, and he went to the bank and asked for a cashier's check in the exact amount of the check that he had had cashed um, because he looked up the law about fraud and things like that. And even though the check said non-negotiable on the top, there were eight different factors that if the check 
presented all eight factors, it was considered a valid check. Um, so he he looked up the book. It's called the Brady Book of uh, Checks, uh, the Brady Bank Book of Checks, and he looked up the um, you know whether his check was actually real or not. But he didn't really want to screw the bank over. He just wanted. He was doing this whole thing, if you remember, as a prank. So he got a cashier's check and he put it in a safety deposit box in the same bank, in fact, uh, which he had to also pay for a little bit. But uh, neither here nor there. Um, shortly, about a month or so later, a um, security guy from risk management gives Patrick a call and says, hey, you better give that money bank and back. And he says, well, the money's actually in your bank, um, but I don't know who you <laughs> are. And um, if you send me a bank a letter on bank stationery, I will indeed give you the money back. If you don't do that, I shall not. And that is almost the end because it's the second round. I have one more round. <laughs> That's obvious. Uh, Alan, what did you think of the story of Patrick and the safety deposit box? I I love this response of just hiding the money in the bank that you owe the money to. That's great. That, I'll leave it at that. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. Good, good note for future embezzlers. Yes. Uh, Darren, Darren, what do you think of Gina's story? <laughs> the yes. Brady Book of Banking? Was it among a love bunch that alliteration, of books that Brady Book of at? Banking. <laughs> Brady Book of Banking. I think Gina was watching the Brady Bunch earlier. In that episode where Peter opened a checking account. We all, we all know that one. Classic, classic Peter. Classic Peter. Classic I'd like Peter. To cash a check, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Darren, uh, we're going to keep you uh, here. Uh, and with the three of us are all going to get into the small squares. You're going to have the big one, and you have 60 seconds for your second round. Tell us about the debt the of gratitude square. from the endurance. Okay. So the crew camps out on the ice floe for another six months, uh, subsisting off Ooh. penguin and seal meat and using seal blubber as fuel to cook their food and melt snow to, for drinking water. Finally, in April of 1916, the ice floe begins to melt and break up, so they have to set off in the three small boats, and they eventually land on Elephant Island. But they're still 800 miles from the closest civilization on South Georgia Island. And by this point, a few of the men are, are too sick to travel any further. So Ernest Shackleton makes a fateful decision. Shackleton and five other men will attempt to sail the James Caird, which is the largest of their three boats, 800 miles across the open waters in the most dangerous sea in the world in an attempt to reach South Georgia Island. The other 22 men will stay behind and await rescue. Uh, did I mention that the James Caird itself was only seven meters <laughs> no, long? No, you did not. Wow. Gina, um, uh, what do you think of wow. Darren's second round story about Shackleton sailing off 800 miles on a seven-meter boat? Well, I don't know much about that, except for what I do know is those 22 people that were left behind. Um, on National Geographic, they have told me that if they find bodies in the ice, that they will be still sometimes alive. So they, they were pretty good. I think the idiot who, who did the James Caird boat was dumb because he had no chance. Those guys at least had a chance. Although National Geographic wasn't here yet. So did they know that? I don't know. This is confusing. I'm not sure. Mm. Oh, well, indeed. I... Alan, what did you think? This whole thing happens in 1914. Isn't that the same year the Titanic sank? No, 1912. Like, no one? No, okay, so two years after the Titanic sank, they're not like, 
Hey, remember a famous <laughs> ship just recently sank in Arctic waters? Maybe we should do something like put a radio on the ship or have another ship nearby with a radio on it as well. They weren't like, what if we sank? They're like, phooey. <laughs> well, they did, they did have the seven meter <laughs> long lifeboat. Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they had a few of those on the Titanic, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Did they have uh, unsinkable Marley Brown? Yeah, I don't think so. They had blubber. (laughs) Blubber, but not flubber. Uh, Take a look at the uh, tracker above us. We see that we are through round number two as well. So, Adam, please take us to our third and final round, number three. Round three, indeed. Round three. That we once again tighten up the rounds for our conclusion round. Each historian now has only 45 seconds to wrap up their story. So we are going to begin round number three with Gina. Uh, Gina, please come on out and uh, tell us the conclusion of your story. The bank book with all the laws was written by two men, one named Richard Hagedorn and Henry Bailey. Um, Patrick uh, actually tracked Henry Bailey down by calling the school where he used to teach. He was retired, but his old secretary said she still received pro, uh, uh, postcards from Providence, Rhode Island. So this was back in the day when you had to look stuff up in a phone book. So he called every Bailey that he could find in Providence, Rhode Island until he, and he would let the phone ring a lot. So 38, uh, 38 rings later, um, uh, Henry Bailey picks up the phone, um, reviews the case and says, you actually have a very good case because um, there should be an internal letter that says that this was cashed incorrectly and that they had to have gone to the original bank and they had to have sent a letter to the original bank well the security guard trying to be an asshole and kind of um push him a little bit farther faxed him the letter to um say hey here's the letter from the official bank but he faxed him the smoking gun and patrick could have kept the money but he ended up giving it back Mm. well and then just um alan the bank went out of business uh because this whole thing blocked a merger with wells fargo that never went through Uh, I would definitely veto that merger (laughs) myself, too. You let this happen? What are you thinking? Well, Alan, keep talking. Let us hear what your thoughts are besides the merger about Gina's story. Uh, The Bailey name was used uh, very liberally. I know the Bailey name from It's a Wonderful Life, George (laughs) Bailey, who also had a bank and uh, lost people a lot of money. And uh, I think that was her uh, inspiration because that was a work of fiction. (laughs) Okay. We have a work of fiction accusation. Uh, Darren, what did you think of Gina's story? Uh, I think Patrick <laughs> has that bank by the balls. I mean, um, I mean, if, if do banks have uh, balls? Yes, I do because Mr. Do, Bailey do actually said that quote, quote, like that was a quote from his story in the paper. <laughs> you have them by the balls. Wow! <laughs> Amazing. Uh, all right, with well, wow. Darren, we're gonna come. Darren, we're going to come to you, uh, and uh, we're going to have you conclude your story on uh, the crew of the Endurance and what happened in this story as your third round begins now. Okay, so unbelievably, Shackleton and his companions make it to South Georgia, sailing across 800 miles of ocean just before they run out of fresh water, but only to find themselves nowhere near Stromness, which is basically the only settlement. And then making matters worse, three of the six men are unfit to travel any further and have to be left behind in a cave. And so in between Shackleton and safety are 
an impassable mountain range, and a glacier that no one has ever explored. So with no maps and no choice but to go forward, they travel 36 hours without food and water and finally reach Stromness, after which Shackleton himself personally leads the rescue effort to rescue all of the men, and not one single person lost their life. Wow. wow. No one lost their life? No kidding. No one hmm. lost their life. That is wow, impressive. Uh, Alan, what do you think of that? Well, that's another happy ending because uh, Gina gave us a happy ending where the bank got its money back and uh, no one died on this expedition where they lost the ship in Antarctica. But here's my here's my issue. I know that Darren recently took a trip to Antarctica and he's using knowledge of the area and on the, uh, things that would be near Antarctica. I don't know where Stromness is. I don't penguins. know about that. So... I think he's using his knowledge to bluff his way out of this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina, oh, wow. what are your thoughts? Well, I've only ever heard of the Stromness monster, so I'm not really sure. If <laughs> well, wait, here's my thing. Um, so I freaking love that nobody died, and so it is making me want to not say that Darren is the bluff anymore. So I reserve the right to hear um, Alan's end of his story because now he's he's tricking me. I know that these guys are tricking me because that's the job. But like you've you've done a good job because I don't know. But we'll see what Alan has to say All at the right. end. Don't All worry. right. Well, Gina, ask and ye shall receive. We're gonna bring Alan up now to tell us his concluding story in forty-five seconds. Your round three story, Alan, will begin now. In the mid-1960s, D. Hawk proposed a separate entity from Bank of America, a division that would alleviate the bank of risk, while eventually becoming one of the most profitable institutions in the world, an institution that a rival competitor bank would try to emulate one decade later, where Hawk's family made a fortune based on real estate debt. D. Hawk would create a new term, consumer debt. D. Hawk was the founder of VisaCard. Yes. So, Hawk would be notorious for causing a record amount of bankruptcy filings in the late 20th century and early 21st century. If you were driven bankrupt due to VisaCard, you truly were going into Hawk. Well done, well done, bringing it home. Uh, Gina, what do you think of Alan's conclusion? These stories are so good, but I, I can—I have to tell you, Mr. Hawk, the, I appreciate all the points. That's what I'm going to say. Like, I travel for virtually nothing because of that. So that was a good invention. I don't know if that was attributed to him. Ooh, this is tricky now because I always thought Morgan Freeman founded Visa, and then now I'm like, I'm just, oh, oh, Darren. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, uh, Darren, Darren, what do you think of Alan's story? I, I'm not sure what to make of it, but all this talk about Hawk is just <laughs> somehow making me hungry for barbecue. Okay. Well, Anybody else? Uh, uh, barbecue? Maybe get some ribs? We'll get some ribs as yeah. we look up above and we see that the round tracker is completely full now. Adam, that means that we are ready to find out. Uh, we're going to start finding out what some people think, and then we'll have Adam, who is the only one that knows who the bluff is, tell us who the bluff is. So I'm going to start at the top of what I see on my screen. And, Alan, I'm going to ask you, who do you think is the bluff tonight? 
I say this every time, is that it could be <laughs> either one. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the point, right? It has to possibly be either one. So, you? Um, or well, what am I going to say? Me? It's me, folks. Um, Ta-da! It's you! Um, you admitted it. No, I'm going to say it's Darren, like I said earlier, because he's got so much knowledge of, of Antarctica and any civilization on the way to America from Antarctica, he would know. The proper names and the terrain, so I think Gina was probably telling the truth with her story, is my guess. Okay, all right, we have a vote for Darren as above. Gina, what do you think? Um, well, I, I think they were both really fascinating stories, but I'm going to go with the one that seems the least likely to be true as the one that I'm voting to be true, because I like the fact that, like, if it's true, that is a really good bluff, and if it's not, then tricked me i guess but anyway so alan i'm gonna say alan's the bluff even though i believe it's darren but i also feel like darren's story had a great ending so i'm like so did alan i don't know this is a hard one <laughs> this is a hard week this is a hard one this week uh darren give us your vote darren who do you think is bluffing well you know oftentimes it's difficult to figure out who the bluffer is but this week i have an unfair advantage um, one of which is, I know I'm not bluffing, uh, and my story is absolutely true, wow. which is to say, Alan is correct in that I did recently go to Antarctica, and I did recently read uh, Ernest Shackleton's memoir of his voyage of the endurance and how he escaped to South Georgia Island. So that being said, of the other two stories, I know for a fact that Gina's story is true, and that guy yeah, that had the quote. bank by <laughs> the know. balls. And I heard him say it himself in person at yeah, a fringe exactly. show yeah. called oh, nice. Man One Bank Zero. Oh, so oh, Alan yeah. is the bluffer. Wow. I really don't get a vote, but uh, just, you know, hearing uh, Gina talk about um, this, this guy, Patrick, and we never heard his last name, uh, and he seemed to be a sponge on uh, getting all this information about the bank laws. Um, I know of only one Patrick and, oh, and no. SpongeBob, uh, so <laughs> no. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to say I think Gene is bluffing, but I don't get a vote. Uh, Adam, let's find out who really is bluffing. Oh, no. Oh, let's find out. Indeed, let's do it. I'll have you step off our virtual stage, my friend Chris, and we are going to line up our historians du jour, <laughs> and I'm going to discover reveal was it alan or was your bluff gina could your bluff have been darren <laughs> it would be toasty warm <laughs> if it was i am going to reveal right now the bluff the oh. whole time was alan ah. <laughs> darren saw the right fringe show <laughs> i did but i will Darren's. say this the person that founded Visa was, in fact, a man named Oh, D. is that the only thing that was true? That's the only thing that, that was, was true. That was great, Alan. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, well done, all of you. We did have uh, one vote for Darren, uh, two votes for Alan. Uh, so uh, great mm. job on all the stories. Really fun stories tonight. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, we thank the audience once again for uh, watching us on YouTube or uh, Twitch and StreamYard 
and listening to us on the podcast. Uh, we are here every week with another round of History Bluffs. And Adam, I'm going to turn it over to you to bring us home. You got it. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you. Historians, you've taught us things and you've bluffed well. Let's do it again next week, shall we? Because this is History Bluffs, where truth is stranger than fiction. See you.